So we're going to be continuing in our walk through the book of Exodus. You got to buckle up because we have got a lot to cover today. So if I talk fast, listen as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, Again, we're in the book of Exodus. We've been in the book of Exodus. This is our 91st message in the book of Exodus. 91 weeks we've been in this book, and it's an amazing journey. This Exodus study is called The Great Escape. We've been walking along with the Israelites from the very time when they left Egypt to come out. And what we did last week is we had a message called The Reckoning. And in The Reckoning, what we did was we looked at the accounting of the tabernacle. That's God's dwelling place. And we looked at the fact that they went through all the things, the parts and pieces, everything was invested in that thing to be created. And we looked at all that accounting. And what we saw was a really unique perspective that God gave us actually of our service unto the Lord pictured in the accounting. And what was interesting was the fact that that picture of sanctification, that picture of of assessing and working in our own hearts, it's a matter of we had a kind of a harsh wake-up call last week to the fact that we're all going to one day stand responsible and accountable to God. So for our service, whether or not that service was done, for the Lord with wholehearted service, that we did it for His purpose and for His glory, or if we did it for ourselves. We all, because of the tendency that we have to be selfish, we have a tendency to serve ourselves instead of serving God. And we'll do things in the name of God in reality to make ourselves look good. Isn't that amazing? But we're all guilty of it. Don't look bad. You know, we're, I, we're all in the same boat, right? So we have this issue. So as we're looking at this aspect of Exodus, what we're doing now is we're going to be looking at a special subset of individuals. We're going to be looking at a group that, are, that have been called actually to minister to God in the tabernacle. These men are called priests. That's where we first see them show up as priests. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at who they are, first of all. Before we even get to our text, we've got a little bit of a study to do because we're going to figure out who the, who the priests are what they've been called to do, and what God's expectation of the priests are as well. Now, we're going to do it by way of their clothing. So today, our message is titled, Holy Garments. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us this time together. Thank you for the message, God, that you've laid upon my heart. And Lord, as I've prayed and studied over it, and Lord, gone through much scripture, I pray, God, that you'll help me to get out of the way. Uh, My fear every week, Lord, is that I'm going to get involved in the message and I'm going to ruin it. God, my desire today is to disappear, that I might be removed completely from this. And Lord, that the spirit that lives within me, God, might empower me, Father, to share the very words that you have chosen. God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, not to be just hearers only. But Lord, I do pray that we be doers. If we're here just to hear a message, it's a waste of time. God, if we're here to be transformed, if we're here to be changed, God, then we're we're where we're supposed to be in our hearts and in our minds. So help us today to be receptive, God. If anyone else, no one else hears anything, Lord, speak to me that I might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what, uh, before we actually get into the garments themselves, um, as I said, we're going to do a little bit of a study to understand who these men are. The first time we see the priests show up in the book of Exodus is back in Exodus chapter number 19. and verses 5 and 6, it says this, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and holy nation, these are the words which the Lord spake, uh, shall speak unto the children of Israel. So we see here God has a calling upon the Israelites as a whole. He's calling them. He has a purpose for their lives. He tells them if they will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, he says he'll make them a peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. So God's plan is to use the Israelites as the vehicle to share his truth with the world. 
But what we find is the fact that the Israelites are not very consistent. What we found also is the fact that the Israelites are a picture of us as individual believers. And guess who's not consistent? Boom, we should all have our hands high in the air. You should be scraping the ceiling. We are inconsistent, all of us, right? So we all have that same struggle. So we look at them and we need not judge them, but understand that God has a special place for the Israelites to this day in his heart. And what we find also is the fact that God uses that Jewish line, the Abrahamic seed. That's where the whole, the very thing, the personification, the manifestation of God's word in human flesh was Christ. He came out of that seed through that Jewish line. So we see here this aspect of the priests. What we're going to do is we're going to look at them as this special subset, this specialized group. Now, there are the Israelites as a whole that are called to be priests, but then there's another subset within them. And they come out of the the tribe of Levi. If you'll hear it talked about in biblical terms, it'll be called the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. So we're going to look at those men and sort of see who they are. Numbers chapter number three, verses six through 10 gives us, it's kind of the commissioning of the Levites here in in Numbers three, six through 10. Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may minister unto him that they shall keep his charge and the charge of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of the congregation to do the service of the tabernacle. He said, look, so when the tabernacle is all set up, these guys are going to be the workers in this thing. They're going to do all of the priestly duties are going to be fulfilled by these Levites. Verse 8, and they shall keep all the instruments of the tabernacle of the congregation. So everything that's there, all the implements and parts and pieces are to make sure everything's clean and taken care of and the charge of the children of Israel to do the service of the tabernacle. Verse 9, and thou shalt give the Levites unto Aaron and to his sons that they are wholly given unto him out of the children of Israel. They're to be chosen out of the group, the whole, the Levites are a subset. And shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. What's interesting, what that last phrase means is this, the Levites are the priests. Anyone that tries to come out of another brotherhood or another part of the the tribe, they're not called, they're not side to side. So these men, this by uh, being a priest was by birthright, and by birthright alone. It was a blood line. Then we see what is this priest's office? What is a priest's office? Now, so we see the priest's office, these men are to work as intermediaries between the people and God. That's kind of their role. That's what they're supposed to do in this scenario. And we look at these tribes. Now, if you understand, if you want to know all the duties of the Levites and all what they do, go read Numbers 18. It'll lay it out for you. I'm not going to go through all that. <laughs> Just a little something for you there. So understand, these tribes, these, these Levites have been set aside. They've been consecrated for God. Exodus 28.1, God instructs this way. He says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar, Aaron's sons. Now, we remember Ithamar. Ithamar is the one that was tasked with doing the accounting last week. We remember him. And we've talked about, uh, about uh, Nadab and Abihu in the past. Nadab and Abihu were two priests that decided that they were going to do things their way. God said, look, these are the parameters. This is what I want you to do. And they're like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to kind of wing it. Well, they both get destroyed. God kills them because they absolutely defy the Lord. So we find here those are of the same priestly line. So you don't have to always, not all priests do things right. Praise that's us. Right? Not all priests. Responsibility for these the guys are responsible for the leadership in, in leading worship and representing the people before the Lord. This was their job. Notice that this is not an elected position. This is not something that they could gain through acts or service. It was not based upon works. It was a blood, blood uh, duty. And that's a picture of us as believers. If you consider the fact that you are not saved, you are not a child of God because of the works that you do, because of the bloodline of Christ, we share the same bloodline. Now out of this group, there was another more specific group out of that. And there was one specific man 
who's named Aaron, and Aaron is the high priest, the high priest. And if you look at that in Leviticus, or actually in Exodus chapter number 30, verse 10, it says, And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in a year shall he make atonement upon it through your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So this is the day of atonement. This was one day a year when a sacrifice was made and only one person was allowed to go inside of the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. If you ever seen the, the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? All that stuff that happens to those people, they open that ark. Man, I can imagine that might be if you just decide, I'm just going to walk in and see what happens. You might be turned into melted blob, whatever that happens. They all get burned up and stuff like that. But bottom line is the, the one man, the high priest, he's allowed to walk in. And he actually has a, a beautiful time with God and this wonderful intimacy with the Lord. But it was Aaron. And what you'll find is throughout time, all the high priests were going to come out of the line of Aaron. This is called the Aaronic priesthood just if you're ever curious about that. So the Holy of Holies, this is where the Ark of the Covenant would lie. And what we discussed in the past is that's where the very presence of God is. That is the closeness, the intimacy with God. We talked about the aspects of sanctification, going from the outer court, working our way into the holy place and then into the most holy or the Holy of Holies. That's where that intimacy was. And that's what Aaron's job was. He was to be the high priest to go in and have that, that close, intimate time with God. But then what's interesting is the Bible talks about it and gives us a reference about you and I and how we fit into this story. So we're talking about this is thousands and thousands of years ago. These men are physical priests, but then look in this 1 Peter 2, verse 5, it says this, Ye also, this is Peter speaking to the church, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So it says here, we are a holy priesthood, speaking of the individual believer. God's saying, hey, look, I've called you out. So the incredible sanctification that we see here, that we've seen modeled in the tabernacle, we see this sanctification process, the spiritual, the sacrifices that are being made. What we find here is where with them, it's a physical sacrifice. With us, it says here, this is a spiritual sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. Now, we've been talking about this on Wednesday nights. And in our Wednesday night study, we've been talking about what it is to be a follower. We've been talking about denying ourselves. But the last few weeks, we've been talking about going to the cross. Cross is a place of sacrifice. So we're supposed to be making spiritual sacrifices. Now, for some of us, it's different things. It's a matter of our own flesh. We're dealing with our own hearts. For some of us, it might be the fact that we have to change the things that we allow to influence us, the things that maybe we're doing, maybe the things that the places where we spend our time or maybe who we spend our time with, those things that we listen to, those things that we watch, those things that consume our thoughts or maybe our imaginations. Many times our life might look pretty good, but inside of us, we might be a bit of a mess. As Jesus confronts them in Matthew 23, he's confronting the, the, the Pharisees. And one of the things that he tells them, he says, you know what? You're whited sepulchers filled with dead men's bones. He said, on the outside, you look all pretty and white. You look clean, but inside you're filled with dead men's bones and filled with iniquity. He says, that, you know what? Well, your problem is you guys are all worried about cleaning the outside of the cup and making the outside look good. But the inside is filthy. And he says, and so many of us live our lives trying to look the part, trying to act the part, trying to sell ourselves on a Facebook impression. The buddy goes, man, their life's amazing. Look how good they are. Look how great they are. But in reality, our hearts are far from God. And God's to say, look, it's a matter of the heart. And you and I have to understand the fact that if it's to possible for us to cleanse ourselves, it's not through our power. In that 1 Peter 2, 5 verse, it says this, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood uh, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You are not strong enough to overcome your flesh. Amen. 
By your will, you never will. That doesn't really, I guess that works. By your will, you never will. It'll never happen, right? You're never going to overcome that flesh because guess what? Our flesh has such a draw on us. We're so used to following and listening to it and following its lead. That's where we come from. The Bible says we're sitting on the course of the prince and the power of the air. We're born with a sinful nature. And redirecting that sinful nature is not easy. But by the power of God, we can do it. Some of us are a living testament of who we used to be and who we are today, right? We've been changed. Our path has been changed. Not because we're something special. Not because we've got incredible willpower. But because we surrendered our will to God. Praise the Lord. First Peter 2.9. But you're a chosen generation. Listen to this wording. Speaking to the church, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him, Christ, who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. Listen to that wording, right? It sounds very reminiscent of what we just heard. Right? When we go back and we read Exodus 19, 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and ye keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure. Listen to this. Unto me, above all people, you've been chosen out, for all the earth is mine. For ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. You could say a royal priesthood and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So the very things that we see promised there, God saying, hey, you know what? Guess what? Spiritually speaking, that's what I'm calling you to be. The same way I called them, I called them to be a vehicle for me to reach this world. And guess what he's doing with the church? He's called this to be the vehicle to reach this planet. It's not about the God coming in with dreams and, and changing people's lives and doing miracles. It's about her going, hey, you know what? I'm going to use my people. Because if this life was about you getting saved and that's all it was, God would save you and take you. There'd be no point of leaving you here. But because we have a mission, our mission is to reach the world. How do we do that? Through opening our mouths and living our lives as an example. See, theirs is a physical kingdom. These are physical priests doing physical stuff. You need not, some people go, you know what? There's no point to have Israel's not important anymore because we've replaced them. No, this, that is a, this is a physical kingdom. We're talking about a completely spiritual kingdom. You and I are not now the spiritual replacement of the Israelites. That's, that's ridiculous. No, we're not. We are to be fulfilled. We are to be a picture of something new. We're the church, man. We're the church. There's the Jew, there's the Gentile, and there's the church. And that's who we are. And the God wants to reach the Jewish world and the Gentile world through the church. And you notice in that verse it says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And there are people that will teach that that word chosen means that you were selected by God for salvation. That is not what that is saying. Not at all. Salvation is by faith and faith alone through trusting in Christ. The Bible says it's a gift. A gift is not something that we earn something that we have to choose to receive. And it comes down to the individual accountability because I can have a gift with your name on it all day long. You could know what the gift's about and you could want the gift. But if I hold it out to you and you won't receive it, it never becomes yours. You have to make a conscious choice to receive it. And that's what happens when we receive Christ, man. We receive the gift that's been offered to the whole world. When Jesus is on the cross, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He didn't love a selected few. He loved the world. The fact that God would choose some for salvation and some for destruction goes against the very nature of God. That would mean God created people to suffer. But in fact, we know that God's heart is that all would come to repentance and all would come to know him. Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath, listen to this, before ordained that you be saved. No that we should walk in them. 
Okay? He says, you were foreordained, meaning that when you got saved, I ordained that you should be serving me. You should be walking and working for my glory. That's why I have you on the earth. And then there comes the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, right? The spirit wants to do the right thing, and the flesh is like, yeah, that sounds kind of hard. Let's do that. And you're like, whoa, how do you get over here? Oh, let's get back over here. Whoa, right? The flesh is constantly like, ah. And the Bible says that we're stiff-necked, right? That's the Bible. That's what the, the example of the Israelites. They're stiff-necked. They're like a horse that you're trying to redirect it. And the horse is like, no, I like this way, this way, this way. No, 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 we're going this way. How many of us have gotten up in the morning and that stiff-necked horse, your flesh, goes, you know what, we're going this way. And you're like, whoa, 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 hey. I wasn't fully aware of what was going on. Why do we get over there? Daggum, let's uh, straighten things back out and I got my head clear, right? <laughs> Happens to us. That's the flesh. So we're dealing with this struggle. So as we look into the priesthood, understand they have duties and we have duties. God's called us to do something amazing. And you know, it is, it is his intention that we work for his service and not for ourselves. Here's where those spiritual sacrifices appear as we deny ourselves and serve the Lord through showing charity, showing charity and love to this in this lost world. First Peter 2.10 says this, which in time past were not a people, speaking to us, in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And see, it's the very mercy of God that allows us to be a child of God. You'll hear people say, you know, the Pope himself just said the other day, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. That is a false statement. We are all God's creation. The children of God are those who have received Christ as their Savior. If you think your salvation is through the church, you are wrong. It is by Christ and Christ alone. He is the only way. It is by His grace that we received. And as His children, we are priests. We are to serve the Lord in, our, in His interest, not our own. This is where we struggle with the flesh every single day. But we see that in the priestly structure, there was the priest, which is us. And then guess what? There was a high priest, a high priest. So we need a high priest. Well, listen to this. Hebrews 14 or Hebrews 4 verse 14 says this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast. Our profession is pretty clear. He says, look, your high priest is Christ. He is your high priest. Here's in verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He doesn't, it's not the fact that he doesn't understand our pains, but was in all points tempted as like, like as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus Christ understood what it was like to be human. He understood what it was like to feel hunger pains. He knew what it was like to feel pain. He knew what it was like to feel loss. He knew what it was like to feel suffering. He knew what it was like to look into people's eyes and see hatred. He knew what it was like to feel ridiculed. He knew what it felt like to be, to be put upon. And you and I, as we deal with these things, we're like, oh, you know, God wouldn't understand. No, that's the whole thing. Jesus came and lived that life so that he would understand it. If you want to understand what it's like to be an ant, you don't buy an ant farm. You become an ant, right? We don't have the ability to do that because going, hmm, yeah, being an ant's hard. No, if you're in that little, you're like, dang, this sucks, right? You have a different perspective. This is what God's trying to show us. Hey, man, if you want to understand it, be like them. So our sinless high priest through his sacrificial death, through his resurrection, man, he passed not through a veil of linen, which is what Aaron would do. He passed into heaven itself. And what, did, what was the sacrifice that he took in? Not the blood of an animal, not some kind of other, uh, other, otherworldly or, or anything else. It was by his own blood. His very own perfect sinless blood was what he took as a sacrifice, atoning sacrifice for us to God. And that perfect sacrifice pays the debt for all of humanity, Amen. but then we have to receive it. 
Because understand, there's a debt for each of us individually. There's individual accountability with God for every single person. God knew who we were. He knows your DNA. You were specifically designed. Your DNA is a fingerprint of the hand of God upon your life. There's no one else like you. So everyone else was individually made, and every one of us will individually stand before the Lord one day, and we'll stand accountable to him, and he'll say, you know what? I gave you life. What did you do with it? Was it for me, or was it for you? Were you thinking about the eternal, or were you so focused on the world that you couldn't think of anything else? And many of us, that's where we came from. I didn't get saved until I was 34 years old. So 34 years, every day was all about me. I woke up in the morning, what about me? How can I satisfy myself throughout the day? What can I find that entertains me? How can I finish the day the way that I want to finish it? And the next morning, wake up, ready to feed my flesh, ready to get after it. And what happens is that over, over time, what does it do? It makes you, it's hollow. Because we never fulfill, we never sustain or reach the point of satisfaction because this world was not created to satisfy us. This world was created to sustain us. The very thing that God gave the manna in the, in, the, in the wilderness, and the Bible says that it was to sustain them. And what did they do? They ate it and ate it and ate it for 40 years. And after a while, they're like, dang, gum, dude. Manna again, really? Okay. 40 years, dude. Could somebody fry this up or do something to it? Can we make something with it? And what do they do? They reshaped it. They fried it. They did everything they could to make it taste better. And they're like, you know what? Mm, nope. It's no manna. Mm. And what happens? Here they are in the wilderness trying to find satisfaction. And God said, I didn't give you manna to satisfy you. I gave it to sustain you. And where's your satisfaction? It's in the land of milk and honey. Man, listen to that. Milk and honey, that'll satisfy you. But you spend all your time in the wilderness. And so what happens is we find ourselves in the world trying to find satisfaction. And you will never, ha- never happen. It will always just sustain us. So as we look at this uh, aspect of the fact of the veil, right? There's the veil, that separation that, 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 that Aaron would walk through. That was a veil of separation. That was between God and man. And what we found is when Jesus died on the cross, he, separ- he destroyed that veil. We go to Matthew 27, verses 50 through 51. And it says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks Rent. So the earth shook, the rocks broke in half, and the veil was not torn from the bottom to the top where somebody could say, well, men grabbed a hold of it and tore it this way. No, he tore it from the top to the bottom to say, this is only God, because this thing's about 30 feet tall. Shredded it right down the middle. And what does that do? That enters us into the age of grace where we have access to the throne of God. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly before the throne. Aaron, because he was called to do what he was doing, when he stepped through that veil, he may have been a little fearful, but you know what? He had a, a, an entitlement to do it because God had said, you know what? You're the one. So he could step through it. And God said, you know what? You can boldly step through the throne. You can stand before the very throne of God and ask for help, right? And it says, because find grace to help in time of need. How many of us have ever find ourselves in a time of need? Amen. And we call out and he's there. No matter how nasty and yucky and awful we are, no matter how filthy we may be, no matter what our life has been in the past, we have a need and God says, I'm here. I'm here. That is incredible love. So the division that, was, that existed from the very time of the break, whenever that happened back in Genesis 3, the fall of mankind, man, there was a division there. And that division was destroyed by Christ. And then we have this, so understand, we see Jesus as a picture. He's a picture of the high priest. But on, the, on another level, the high priest is also pictured in us. Let me explain this. So previous in our, as we've previously studied in the past, the church age, right? In the church age, you and I are the dwelling place 
of God. The Bible says that we are the temple. We're the tabernacle. So the very earthly tabernacle that we see back here that these men are going to minister and work in, you and I in the church age, we're that tabernacle. The very spirit of God that would show up in that tabernacle, guess what, is inside of us. So we think about this. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16 through 17 proves this to it. It says, and that, it says, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? He's saying, look, what business do you have messing around with things that are not godly? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, talking about us, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Okay? So this, we understand that we're the tabernacle. So now what's the job of the high priest? He was to tend and to care for the tabernacle, to make sure that it was clean, to make sure that everything was proper. And guess what? You and I have an earthly tabernacle. Guess what we're supposed to be doing? Keeping it clean making sure that everything is proper. Aaron would enter that tabernacle and he would make a sacrifice unto God to honor him. And guess who we're supposed to be? We're supposed to be taking sacrifices unto God in this flesh, right? Picturing Aaron, the fact that his role was to bring a physical sacrifice, but ours is to bring a spiritual sacrifice. Look at this in Romans chapter number 12, verse one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's saying, look, this will that you have to do these things of the flesh, what I'm asking you to do is you make sacrifices of your will, your desires to fulfill your flesh. Sacrifice those things to me that I can use this vessel. Because while you're using this vessel for your wicked ways, you cannot be used by me. I want to do great things in your life. That's why I left you on the planet. So let's get this stuff out of the way so that I can use your life. And all year, Aaron would be preparing himself. He's thinking of that day, man. He's thinking of that day, that day of atonement when he will step through the veil and he'll walk up to that mercy seat and he'll pour that blood and he'll feel the presence of God come down. His creator, a perfect love just surrounding him as he stands before his father. And he's thinking about that. So guess what? All year he's preparing. He's thinking about entering that Holy of Holies and meeting the Lord at the altar. And see what's so cool? is the fact that all year long he would be working on this clothing, making sure everything was exactly as it was supposed to be. Preparing for that meeting. What it is, it's a picture. It's a picture of a wedding day where the bride of Christ, the church, will one day meet our, our husband in a marriage. And the whole thing is he's preparing himself. He's working on his life. He's working on himself. He's supposed to be an image of Christ. And what we look at here in Isaiah 61.10, listen to what Isaiah says here. It's so cool. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul, shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation through Christ. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. She's getting ready for her wedding day. And you and I, as priests, we're supposed to be getting ready. And as we look at this in future messages, we're going to expand upon that idea of the wedding. We're going to talk about that further. But we go back to Numbers chapter number three. And there's something I want to look at in that verse number six right there. It says here, bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron, the priest, that they may minister unto him. Notice that. So what happens here, the other priests, including Aaron's sons, are to minister 
to Aaron. Jesus Christ is our high priest. We minister unto him as the sons of God. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's all these beautiful pictures of the fact that this life is not supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about him. It's supposed to be about this life, making, bringing honor and glory to God. So now, understand, we haven't even gotten to our text yet. Sorry, this is all just preparatory. <laughs> but we have an understanding. Now we have a good biblical understanding of what a priest is. I, I don't have more. It's going to be okay. It won't be, you guys are going to be okay. We're going to be time-wise. We'll be all right. Um, <laughs> but understand, so we have a good understanding of kind of what we're looking at and seeing in these priests. But now we go into our verse in Exodus chapter number 39, verses 1 through 7, which is where we're going to be. And it says, And of the blue and purple and scarlet, they made clothes of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. And we have a picture here to kind of give you an idea. This is an artist's representation of it. What we're going to be talking about today is the ephod. That's this thing right here, this whole outfit right here. We're not even going to get to that breastplate. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. So as we look at this, understand that the garments are listed as holy because they are to set Aaron apart. They were intended to reflect God's holiness and sanctification as they would be unique and unlike anything that anyone else would wear. If he walked out, everybody would be like, dude, check him out, man. Look at his threads, bruh. He's killing it, right? So Aaron would really stand out. He would be this unique individual. He would be very, 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 we would say sanctified in the fact that he was set apart for the use of God. And we look at the instructions here in Exodus chapter number 28, as God explains about this, about this very clothing. He says, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, that whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So they were for glory and they were for beauty. Not Aaron's glory. Not Aaron's beauty. He is a representation. You and I on this earth are not to be receiving glory for ourselves and trying to build a reputation about how much people admire us. What we want to do is have people admire God through us. Amen. So our life is a reflection of God's love. And that's a Luciferian place to be. What I mean is the fact is Lucifer fell because the fact is his job was to give glory. And what happened was he just wanted a little bit for himself. And you and I, our problem is many times we'll do things for the Lord but we would really love for somebody to get a picture of it, right? We would love to have a little Instagram post. There's a homeless guy, I'm down on the ground. Wink, wink, <laughs> handing him a sandwich, right? I'm not trying to minister to this guy. I'm not doing it for God's glory. I'm doing it because I want glory. The Bible says in Colossians 3.23, it says, do all that you do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. But our problem is the fact that we many times are serving ourselves when we try to portray it as serving God. So we look at this aspect of what's taking place here, and he's saying, look, he's there to not only to reflect God's glory and God's beauty, but it says to consecrate him that he may minister unto me. Remember we talked about being unto the Lord last week? Showed up like 250 sometimes. Unto the Lord, that means wholehearted service unto God. So he's saying, look, these men are to serve me. And what we end up here is, as we remember, uh, above serving our, our community or our church or our families, we have to remember who we truly serve. Because of our tendency to worship things and worship people and worship organizations, we have a tendency to reorient where God was here. Next thing you know, I'm, my family becomes more important. My children become more important. And I'm going, no, 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 I worship God, I worship God, I worship God. Problem is our priorities don't reflect that. So we understand above all things, we minister unto him. 
as priests. Verse 2 says this, And he made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. Now, it sounds familiar because back when we were studying the tabernacle, those are the very same colors that were inside the tabernacle. As we look at those things, this, this, what this does is it reflects to us the fact that, that uh, Aaron is supposed to be a, an image of heaven. He's supposed to reflect the glory of God, the beauty of God. And then we look about those specific colors, right? We saw that there was gold, there's blue, there's purple, and there's red. Gold we know, right? We studied gold a ton. We remember gold's deity, right? That's God. That's righteousness. That's holiness. That's God. So that one, no problem. Blue, blue is a picture of God's healing power. God's healing power. Then we go to the color purple. Purple is a picture of royalty. Royalty. And then we get to red. Now, red is the interesting one because red is a variable. Red, when we deal with God, red means cleansing. It is a picture of the blood of Christ that cleanses, right? The Bible says without the remission of sins, uh, there's no uh, remission of sins without the shedding of blood, right? There had to be blood. So there's a picture there of cleansing through blood. But then when you apply red to humanity, okay, when we apply it to humanity, there's a different story. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. It says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So with God, that red is a picture of cleansing, but with humanity, it's a picture of sin. Now, eesh, there's a problem. So how is this man going to wear a picture that represents sin and also represent God at the same time? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Because verse 3 gives us the answer. It says this, And they did beat the gold into thin plates and cut it into wires to work it into the blue and in the purple and in the scarlet, and in the fine linen, and the cunning works. So every one of these colors, these craftsmen would pound this gold into thin, thin little, into a plate, and they cut it in these thin little wires, and they would weave it into every color. So the very red that would represent sin, when you weave gold into it, you then relay it to God, and all of a sudden it becomes cleansing. And the unifying thing of all of these colors is the gold. Notice that it's in all four of them. Every one of them has Gold, every color of the ephod, even the red. So just, uh, and then the thing is, you've got to love the fact, the intricacies of what God does. There's, there is no, people go, oh, there's contradictions. There are no contradictions in the word of God. There are none. There are what are called apparent contradictions. And what apparent contradiction does is it makes you go, huh, I think I'll study that. God's like, great. It's like drawing you into an intense point. He goes, study here and figure out why I'm telling you the truth. And you're like, dang, dude, boom. Yeah, does it, do? it increases your faith. <laughs> It increases your faith. It's amazing. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. So we look at this aspect of this, this garment. And what's so cool about it is the fact that this thing is supposed to be the one unifying fact of all these colors is the gold. That's the one thing that reflects in this thing. So picturing in the sanctified holy garment that no matter the color, there is one thing that they all have in common. And as believers, no matter our color, our social standing, our heritage, our education, Amen. we are all unified by one thing. One thing. It drives us all Together, Ephesians 4, 6, it says this, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. The deity, the beauty of Christ in us. And each beautiful golden strand would reflect that truth so all that would look upon it. They would see that gold reflecting in every color. Verse 4, they made shoulder pieces for it to couple it together by the two edges was it coupled together. So this, I have a picture here. Where this coupling is, this is where they're gonna, there's a focus here. And we, that's uh, military soldiers and stuff like that. It's believed that these things actually came originally from the garments of the priest, that that's where that concept came from, from putting things on the shoulders. 
So that gives us kind of a view of what we might think it may look like. Then verse number five says this, And the curious girdle of this of his ephod that was worn upon it was of the same, according to the work thereof, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is a sash, okay? So basically, he's got that, he's going to drop that thing over his head like this, and he's going to have this sash that will wrap around it. It's made just in the exact same colors as the rest of the ephod. And what's interesting is the sash, what it does, if you ever put on like a robe or something like that, it's all floppy and blah, blah, blah. But then you put the tie on, and sh- or like when you put your robe on, you get out of the shower, throw your robe on. If there's no sash, you're just like, man, this thing's unwieldy. It drives you crazy. <laughs> but then you all of a sudden you go, and you're like, oh, no, I'm going to go downstairs and have some coffee, right? <laughs> Same thing here. This thing ties it all together, that belt, right? And what's so cool is that belt is also reflected in Ephesians chapter number, chapter number 6 because we see the armor of God. And what is that belt of truth? And that belt of truth is the foundation of that entire suit of armor. We'll see some correlations between the armor as we get further into this message. Verse number 6. And they wrought onyx stones enclosed in ouches of gold. To rot means they created. They wrought onyx stones. They created onyx stones enclosed. An onyx stone is a black stone. In ouches of gold. An ouch is a setting, like a basing. Um, graven as signets are graven with the names of the children of Israel. And this is what it says. Basically, these stones, these onyx, black onyx stones, are going to be set into a base plate or a setting of gold. And they're going to be engraved with the names of of the Israelites. Now what's cool is God gives us further instructions in Exodus 28:10. We know specifically it says this, six of their names on one stone and the other six names of the rest on the other stone according to their birth. So what it's saying there is like based upon their order of their birth, they're going to be listed, six stones on one side, sticks sticks, six on the others. So these these onyx stones are set in gold. What we find is the fact that a stone is a picture of humanity, right? We saw in the wood that was inside the tabernacle, we saw that that was a picture of corruptible man. What we see as a stone is a picture of humanity. It is, so here's the human element, but it's to be grounded in gold. It's to be grounded in deity. That's the point that he's trying to show us. In 1 Peter 2, 5, it says, ye also are lively stones, right? He tells us we are lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Remember that gold is symbolic of holiness and deity. So where the gold used to wrap all the way around the wood, the corruption, here it's not wrapped all the way around it. Here the humanity, the human element and the God element are exposed together on that shoulder. And what's cool about that, the reason why it's important is because there's an issue of carrying and bearing sin, right? Understand where it is. It's on the shoulder. Where do you bear burdens? On your shoulders, right? You put on a backpack. The weight goes on your shoulders. Back in, in verse number 7, it said this, And he put them on the shoulders of the ephod, that they should be stones for memorial to the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, so these, these things are to sit on his shoulders. Now, as I said, the shoulder is a place where you bear burdens. And what would happen is we see here the high priest was symbolically bearing the children of Israel and their humanity before the Lord. He's carrying them in with him as he would enter into God's presence. And in doing so, he is taking responsibility for their souls. Because remember, he's giving an atonement for himself and for the people. He's standing there on behalf of them, their spiritual lives. And he would do this and by the way, he, the way he lived an example of holiness to the people, by the way that he would share the word, and the fact that he would risk his life. Because understand, if you went into the Holy of Holies and you were not right with God and things were something that was not right, you dropped dead, man. They used to tie a sash around their ankle and they had bells on their clothing. We'll see. And those little bells would indicate to them if he's moving. And all of a sudden he's walking around. It's like, ching, ching. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> Bob, you all right? Hey, Bob. Oh, boy. Shh, drag him out, right? Who's going in next? Ooh, right? Imagine being the backup. That would not be cool. But <laughs> the whole thing is they're bearing the burden. He's bearing this burden before the people. So through his actions, even through his clothing, he bore the burdens upon himself. And we can see the amazing picture, right? The picture of Christ bearing the burdens of the world upon himself as he goes. The fact that our high priest, Lord Jesus Christ, seeing humanity's burden and the weight that came along with it and the penalty that would there that they would face bore our burden upon himself before the Lord as he gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. He gave his own life. Never knew sin. Died for sin. Undeserved, but he did it because he loves us. So we witness God sanctifying Aaron and his sons to be priests. We see how, how Aaron is tasked with the duty of being the high priest and bearing the burdens before the people upon his shoulders. And our focus has been on the ephod today. It's been on that, that one part of the garment. And we'll see through the rest of the priestly garments that all of these things are designed to set them apart from everyone else. They should stand out. If you were to see Aaron walking through the village, you'd be like, whoa, man, look at that. You know, because everyone else is just wearing dirty garb. And these men are dressed, the priests are going to be wearing white robes. So based upon their appearance, they're supposed to stand out. They're supposed to be set apart. They're supposed to be sanctified unto the Lord. When you're sanctified, you're not sanctified from the world. You're sanctified unto God, right? And by the fact that you are unto God, you are set apart from the world. So as born-again believers, man, we're saved by the blood of Christ. You and I have been set apart. And also, as we are here, we are sons of God's, man. We're to be priests unto Him. That's what our life is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about service unto God. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's tasked with the duty of being our high priest and bearing our sins. But bottom line is you and I, we're a picture of the bride. We're a picture of that, that day when he will return. We know there's a day of atonement when we'll stand before him. We'll stand before him and we'll be judged. Not for our sins, but for our service. And see, what do these priests do? They serve. They're in service to the tabernacle to minister to God. So when the Lord returns for his bride, the question is, how will we be dressed? How will we be dressed? Well, we have every day been meticulously working on the way that we appear spiritually, working on our, our ephod and making sure that our sash is straight, that we're polished up and ready because we're going to stand before the Lord. Are we a picture of righteousness? Are we a reflection of him? Because see, the garments that the priests will wear they're designed by God to set them apart, to make them stand out from the masses. And here he claims us to be priests. And he says, hey, you're, guess what I want you to do? Stand out from the masses. Look different. 1 Peter 2.9, but, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice he uses the word should. You should, not you will. You should. That's what you should be doing. That's what we should be doing. Our question is, are we sanctified in our life and cleansing ourselves for the service of the Lord? Or are we working on ourselves every day? I want to be the best me I can be. I want people to have the best impressions of me. Understand the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Not us. 
and our selfish nature, we want the glory. And God says, it's not about that. If you do it for that purpose, it doesn't have any. When I judge you, you'll get no credit for that because you wanted your reward. You got it on earth. Is our focus on ministering unto him or taking care of ourselves? As we know from Nadab and Abihu, you can be a priest and you can be disobedient and you can live with the results. And see, the thing is, every day we get to choose. Wake up in the morning. Am I a priest today? Am I standing out? Am I a peculiar individual? Do I look different? Am I that chosen generation? See, the thing is, we'll either picture Christ and be a Christian. Because people claim to be Christians, but you don't picture Christ. You're not a Christian. You might be a believer, but Christian means to be Christ-like. That means your life looks like Him. Because we'll either look like Christ or we'll look like the world. The problem is many of us, most of the time we look like the world. People meet us. They would never know we were Christian. They listen to our conversation. Never know. If you and I are really priests, it will be evident in our walk, our speech, our thoughts, our actions, and this is a big one, and our reactions. Right? If I'm truly walking with God and something happens to me, instead of me reacting and then having regret for the way that I reacted, if I'm truly walking with God, my reaction will be godly. That's the key. That's that daily preparation. Because guess what? The devil's going to tempt you. He's going to test you. He's going to try you. He's going to try to knock you down. As you try to stand up for the Lord, he's going to put every stumbling block he possibly can before you. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Praise the Lord. The power of Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Because if we are serving him with our whole hearts and seeking the righteousness of God, folks will not have any problem picking us out of the crowd. Not because of what we're wearing. Not because of the way you look. But because of the spectacular spiritual display that they'll see in your holy garments. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and for the message that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you help me to keep in mind of this message, God. Help me every day, Lord, to remember what garments I should have on. God, I pray for all of us Lord, if we're not just here to hear a message, we're not here just to take some notes and leave here and say, you know what, that was good. This is not about entertaining people. It's not about educating people. It's about lives being changed. Lord, I pray that you will change hearts. Help us leave here today transformed, challenged, that not throughout the week we don't just forget what we hear. God, that we allow it to sink into our hearts and change us from the inside out. God, use our, our lives for your glory. God, help us as we do face the enemy. God, help us to claim the truth that we will submit ourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from us. We have the power to overcome him, Lord. It's not our power. It's yours if we walk in submission to you. So, Lord, I pray that you help us, God, to hear, ears to hear. And God, hearts willing to change. Help us, Lord, to be those priests that you've called us to be. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what? Pastor, I don't know where I stand. I don't know. I know every day I'm struggling. I'm trying to do right, but I find myself not able to do it. There's one of two things. Either you're not depending on God and you are his child, 
but you're not depending upon him. You're trusting in your own strength. And that is a road to destruction. Or you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't know the Lord. I know about God, but I can't tell you that I know him. Understand, this is not a religious thing. This is not just a matter of saying, oh, I believe in God because the devil himself believes in God, but he is not going to go to heaven when he dies or when he's destroyed. The demons will not go to heaven. The Bible says that they tremble in the presence of God. So it's not a matter of just believing in God. It's a matter of bowing our will to his. God loves us right where we are, no matter how broken you may be. If you're online watching this, you're watching this recorded, I don't care where you are. This does not require a religious uh, ceremony. This does not require a preacher. This is between you and God. And as he spoke to my heart 19 years ago, I was asked the question, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, I hope so. And thank God they showed me that all I had to do was trust in Christ. That I understood that I was a sinner. The reason why I was separated from God was not because he chose me to be separated, but because of the life that I had lived and the things that I had done. And the fact that he loved me right where I was and was willing to receive me, no matter who I was, no matter how broken I was. And that he was willing to receive me, not only to receive me, but to restore me. If I would just trust in him with my whole heart. And today you have that opportunity. I'm going to lead you and give you an opportunity to pray. But understand, it's not a magic prayer. There are no magic words. There are no magic prayers. That's a lie. There are no ceremonies that save people. That's a lie. It's a matter of the heart. If someone will, by faith, call out to Christ, He will save you right where you are, no matter where you are. You can be in a foxhole in the middle of a war. Call out to God with your heart. He'll save you right there. I don't care where you are. And if He's speaking in your heart right now and you want to receive Him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. By faith. If you say this prayer but you don't mean it, don't waste your time. But if you want to receive Him, you have that moment, have that chance now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, in your heart and in your mind, call out to God. He's listening to you. Repeat after me and pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I deserve to face the penalty for my sin. But I also know that you love me in spite of myself and that you died on the cross to save my soul. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart. Lord, to forgive me of my sins and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bad, eyes still closed.